Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Today we're going to continue our series in a way on the pursuit of power. But what I've noticed in preparation for this series is that often as you're preparing, God starts to highlight some other things. There are themes sometimes within a theme. There are words that God speaks in the midst of another word, and and that's what I felt like was happening as I was looking back over the past couple of weeks, and and then I was having this conversation, and this phrase really stuck out to me. And so we're going to talk about this here today. We're going to talk about this word um, that I really pray is going to bring a greater level of, of expectation to our church. As I've looked back and as we've done for the first couple of months, we've looked at some of our biblical heroes leading up to this time. We've looked at Abraham. We've looked at David to a certain extent. We've looked at the journey from the beginning of time to the point of Jesus coming on the scene. And and there's a few things that I've noticed in each one of their lives. Maybe you have as well. But some things that I think we need to take note of. So regardless of who your favorite biblical hero is, from Abraham to David to maybe Solomon to Daniel to Gideon to anybody in between all the way to the New Testament, there are some things that, that reign true in each one of their lives. The first one, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, is that very often when God raises somebody up, there is an apparent contradiction that they face right off the bat. God brings them up, He says, this is what I'm going to have you do. And right away, there is something that stands in front of them that says, this is not possible. This is not feasible. This is not going to be enjoyable. And there's a contradiction. The second thing that we see in each one of their lives from the very beginning is not just is there a contradiction, but there's also a weakness. There's something about them or their lives that seems to indicate this is not going to work. God comes and he speaks to Abraham and says, you're going to be the father of many nations, except for he's old and he keeps giving his wife away to different kings. That's a problem. We see for for Moses, he was unwilling to speak and he had a bad temper. We fast forward to the New Testament. We find Peter who spoke too much and had a bad temper. We see Gideon, who had no backbone, hiding in the wine press. David, who had no respect from his family. And Paul, who really did a pretty good job, except for that whole period of time where he was killing and persecuting Christians. I would define that maybe as a weakness when you're intending to work for God. The third thing is that there is generally a failure that comes as a result of the weaknesses in their lives. Moses struck the rock. David committed murder and adultery. Peter needed to be interrupted by God himself because he was talking so much. Right? So we have contradiction. We have weakness. We have a failure. But then through all of it, through the process, through being called and coming into the place of of obedience, there is this faith that begins to develop. There is a faith that comes in that starts to give them the empowerment that they need to actually walk into what God has called them to walk into. But for me, the element that I want to look at here today, the thing that I really want us to focus on, not just in reading the stories of of the men of old, but also in our lives, is that for each one of them, there came a time where there was a very clear yes that they had to make to God. 
There came a time where they had to overcome their own shortcomings, failures, doubts, questions, and fears. The opposition from everybody else, and they had to say yes to a call that probably did not seem even remotely possible when they were standing on that side of it. You see, our yes to God really matters. Our yes to Him, in not a casual way, in not a, I'm just doing this because I feel like this is what I'm supposed to do, but a yes to Him that actually changes the trajectory of our lives, this is the yes that we're talking about here today. For each one of these characters, whoever your favorite one is, that yes to God is what resulted in the plan, the provision, and the power to accomplish what God had called them to. And for any one of them, for any one of these heroes at some point, there was a choice that was laid in front of them, and it was a choice to say yes to what God had called them to, or a choice to run away. And sometimes, in certain individuals' lives, they did both. Jonah heard the call to go to Nineveh, and he said, no thank you. So he ran away. And then he embarked on a three-day cruise in a very unconventional way. And upon departing and, and getting off this cruise, being spit up on shore, he decided then it was a good idea to say yes. There was a process. So he said no, and then he said yes. But ultimately for each one, including Jonah, there, there was a point where there was a yes that was standing in front of them that was too big for them to ignore. My prayer here today is that for us, for each one of us, that we would come to a place of recognizing that there is a decision in front of us, that there is a yes in front of us that is so significant, so powerful, and so life-changing that we are simply unable to ignore it any further. Today we're going to look at a story of two specific individuals starting in the book of Acts chapter 6, moving into chapter 7 and going fully into, into chapter 9. And, and we see in chapter 6 there is this young man named Stephen. This is a young man that would say yes to, to the point where it would actually change the world, not just in that moment, but going forward. That It wasn't just a yes in a moment, but it was a yes that had far-reaching implications. Stephen was a man who is described as a man filled with grace and power. That's a good combination. Grace and power. And what he would do is deliver a message to the religious leaders of the day that didn't feel like it had a lot of grace in it, let's be honest. But it was so significant. I think it's probably one of the best messages ever preached. But it was so powerful that I think it probably singed the eyebrows off of those who were listening. He, he went in. He, he didn't hold anything back. And I think we owe it to him this morning just to look at his conclusion. Okay? So Acts chapter 7, verses 51 through 53. Stephen says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Just as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. This is quite the allegation that Stephen is levying against the religious leaders, that the Messiah has come, and you betrayed him and you murdered him. 
you who received the law as delivered by angels and yet did not keep it. As a response to these words, the very happy and fulfilled religious leaders take him out of the city where they eventually stone him. But in this story, out of this yes, we see this remarkable thing where Stephen stands and he looks to heaven and what does he see? He sees the person of Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Not only this, but when they take him out of the city to stone him and to kill him, he follows the example of Jesus and as he is being stoned, it says that he looks up, he prays, he asks, Father, basically forgive them for what they're doing. They know not what they do. And then he fell asleep. The yes that Stephen made was a significant yes. It was a yes that would not just change that moment, but it would have far-reaching implications. Because as he said yes, and he gave his very life to God, there was more that God was going to do in it. But I think it's really significant for us to understand the gravity of this yes here today. Sometimes we think saying yes to Jesus means that everything is going to be better. And ultimately, it's very true. But we think that life is going to be easier, that relationships are all going to change in a moment, that everything is just going to look the way we expected it to look. Sometimes we think saying yes to Jesus means we're going to get a microphone and a platform and a following and and all of these things, and it's all going to be great. Sometimes it does. But a lot of times, it means that there is a journey that you will embark on that is going to require many yeses, difficult times, situations that don't seem to make sense, and times where maybe just maybe you're going to have to say something that's going to upset somebody. And I'm not just talking about people in the world that are going to be upset because we posted something on social media. I'm not just talking about people in the workplace. I'm talking sometimes about the very people sitting next to you in church. Turn to your neighbor today and say, I hope he's not talking about you. A yes to Jesus means that sometimes we may upset a few people. But it also means that our yes to him is much bigger than our fear of any man. We read this scripture last week when we were doing the baptism. Beautiful day with 12 individuals making that decision for Jesus. But in doing so, we looked at Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 28. It says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, This is Jesus, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I think it's safe to say today that when we say yes to Jesus, we had better recognize what our priorities need to be. That who matters most. And I'll also say this, I'm not here to offend anybody. It's not my job to come here and stir things up and to upset people, but I will also tell you this, that if there is something that God has put on my heart or any of the pastor's heart of this staff, that we are not going to not speak it simply because it may upset somebody. 
I think you're safe for today. No promises for next week, though. See, this yes that Stephen made, it was a moment that God would use mightily. You see, at this point, the believers were simply in Jerusalem. This is where they had got saved. This is where they had heard about Jesus. This is where they had saw Jesus walking. And, and now they're, they're here, but all of a sudden, this death of Stephen sparked something. Chapter 8, verse 1 says that uh, Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. So what's the significance of this? Stephen says yes. He says some things that really upset some people. He, he gives his own life for this. And now all of a sudden the Christians have to run because there's persecution. Like their lives are actually in jeopardy. But what God does is he takes this situation where everything seems to be going wrong. And then he uses it to spread the gospel to Judea and to Samaria. He takes this, this belief in Jesus that is mostly centered in Jerusalem, and now these men and women are going out into the surrounding towns, the surrounding areas, and they're bringing with them the message of Jesus. Which means that there are more people that come to Jesus. There are more salvations. There are more lives that are being transformed. That in the midst of the circumstances that seem so bad, God used it to do something amazing. I want to encourage a few people here today that there might be a situation that you're going through that seems so bad. And yet God has the ability to use whatever it is for so much more than you could ever imagine. So at the end of this story with Stephen, we do find another young man in verse 58. I just mentioned his name. It says, verse 58, Then they cast Stephen out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And Saul approved of his execution. At this point in the book of Acts, we don't really have a great understanding of who Saul is. We, we know that he's somebody who walks in authority, somebody who is not a fan of all, at all of the early church, and somebody who really, in a lot of ways, is just getting started. He is coming after the church. It's not until that we read in the book of uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, that we find out more about who Saul was, who obviously we know is Paul. But he says, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Saul is not just anybody. Saul's not just your average guy who's walking around trying to cause trouble or trying to come against the believers. He's the greatest threat to the church that is on earth at that point. He's significant. He says of himself, the Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee. There's something that we have to see about Saul is that when he said yes to something, he said yes all the way. There wasn't any like halfway with Paul, it doesn't seem like, right? He says yes, and he went after everything that he felt like that meant. Acts chapter 2 verses, or Acts chapter 8 verses 2 and 3 says that devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Isn't it amazing? To see in this story the damage that religion can bring. 
that the damage of a religious mindset, when, when religion is present and the Spirit of God is not in the midst of it, how doing something that, that would seem so right to an individual is actually so wrong because there isn't a full understanding of who God is. And yet God in His infinite wisdom and grace and love was about to place a decision in front of Saul that would completely change the trajectory of his life. I don't know if there's anybody else in here today that would say there was a moment in time where I was living life in a certain way, but God stepped in and made an opportunity for me. He placed something in front of me that would completely change my life forever. Now, maybe you weren't out there persecuting Christians, but we see here for Saul that that God was going to do something inside of him. But for Saul up to this moment, the, the yes that he made was a yes that he thought he was making to God. He thought he was saying yes to, to what maybe God's will for, for his life would have been. And, and there are times in our life where we say yes to many things that we feel are the right thing. But sometimes they're just the very things that are giving us our identity. That are giving us comfort. That are giving us a sense of, of value or worth. There are times that our yes has been to things that, that we thought were going to protect us, and yet they're the very things that have caused separation between us and God. There are times where we have to silence that inner voice inside of us to justify our yes, to justify what we're doing. Because as much as it seems like a, a good yes, it's not a yes to God. We live in a world right now where there are many yeses masquerading as a yes to God, but they are really just a yes to self. And unfortunately, as we look around in our nation, in our culture, we see many young people who are making yeses to things that are supposed to give them their new identity that are supposed to give them their value. They're saying yes to identities. They're saying yes to new genders. They're saying yes to new experiences. They're saying yes to new relationships because these relationships and the experiences within them are supposed to be the very things that are going to bring value and self-worth. The unfortunate thing is that these are the very things that will promise everything but deliver on nothing. They'll promise acceptance. But what they'll deliver is separation, condemnation, guilt, shame, depression, anxiety, fear. Part of the problem is that we have young people that are coming up in this generation right now that have a desire to stand for something, to belong to something, to matter, to be worth something. And yet when they look around, the example that they've been given by the church has not been an example that they actually want to follow. There, there's been a place where these young people want to, out of a good place, they, they want to be right. They want to do something that means something to the world around them. And so they stand up and they fight for social justice issues at times. They stand up for, for uh, as mouthpieces, becoming social media you know, um, influencers that would come out and bring a certain message to make all these decisions, to stand up for these things. And yet the people that are standing behind these decisions don't really care about them. They're not looking out for their best interest. And so they blindly walk into these new identities, looking to mean something to the world around them and failing to see that there is a God that loves them more than they could ever imagine. 
when I talk about these things today, I'm not saying that the church has it all wrong. I'm not even pointing out just one denomination, although I think there are a few that have really done a really bad job in this area, where a religious mindset has caused them to walk in a place of, of causing to, uh, others to feel shame and, and brokenness and, and to not invite them into a relationship with God. There are other denominations that have welcomed everybody in and have dropped every standard whatsoever and have broken the, the true message of God. There have been many Christians, though, who have stood up and lived as men and women who trust in God, who know what they've been called to do, who walk in the love and the grace of God. I don't want to, to make it seem like that's not the case. But so many times there has been a legalistic pursuit of God without relationship. There have been religions who have identified as Christian, to borrow a popular term, instead of becoming the church, living out of an authentic call from Jesus Christ. What I want to say here today for each one of us listening is that those who truly know who Christ is, those who truly know what it is to walk in relationship with him have to be the ones that set the record straight. That we have to be the ones that live out the example of what it is to walk in the power of God, to walk in relationship with God, to not just submit to religion, to not just go through the checklist and say, this is what it means to be a Christian, but to actually live out a life in relationship that requires a response from us that does something in the world that we're living in. It really is about time that we as the Christians start to live out the example that we've been called to live out. And if you're doing it already, let's go deeper. If, if you've already been doing it, that's amazing. But let's go further. Let's not put limitations on what God wants to do. So we go back to the story of Paul, a man who thought his yes was to the one true God. And yet, instead of saying yes to God, he was actually saying yes in a lot of ways to the devil. But through the grace of God, he was about to be faced with a new reality. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, says, But Saul, still breathing threats of murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he would find anybody belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light appeared. It shone from heaven, and it flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. We're going to have to preach this verse at some point. Hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they, laid, so they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Saul goes from a man of great authority, who seemingly has all the answers. He's the one who walks in, in the ability to, to actually judge whether or not someone's going to live or die. And now he's a man being led by the hand, realizing that all that he had had up to this point was worthless. That all that he had walked in, that all of the identity that he had, that everything that had led him to this place, really in a lot of ways, was deception. 
and that he had been working against the very God that he claimed to be protecting. But in all of this, there was a decision that was laid before Saul. I think for some of us, we would say today, well, what decision was it really? When God appears to you, when Jesus appears to you and knocks you off your horse and blinds you and speaks to you, there doesn't really seem to be a big choice to be made, right? You just say yes. But I don't think that's true. There have been so many situations, maybe some of us in this room, where where there has been an experience with Jesus where everything has changed and yet still somehow we've walked away. There are times where, where there is such an obvious call to a response, and yet because of fear, because of situations around us, we don't respond fully, and we walk away unchanged. Now for Saul, I think he probably had some pretty good reasons to maybe make a different decision. I think for Saul, there were some things that we can look at here that would point to maybe why he would want to say no, even to Jesus. The first one is, is that the men that he was walking with, the Jewish leaders, they were not going to be very excited if they found out that he had switched teams. Right? This was not going to go over very well. Chapter 9, verse 23 says, When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Something the Jews do very well, apparently. But we read through these words sometimes, and we don't really think as much about them as we should. If you're going to make a decision, and as a result of the decision that there, there's going to be a group of powerful people that are going to try to kill you, who knows that they may, that may come into our, our decision-making process. Okay? So the Jews were going to kill him. Um, and then here's the other thing. The believers that he was going to go speak to, well, they weren't going to accept him either. Remember, he was just killing Christians. He was out there bringing them to jail. So it says that in verse 26, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him for they did not believe that he was a disciple. They didn't believe it was genuine. So his old friends are going to be against him. His new brothers and sisters, well, they're not going to accept him. Then he's going to have to walk through this process. He's the Hebrew of Hebrews. He's a Pharisee, but this process is going to take over 10 years for him to go from the place of conversion to the place of ministry. So now he's got all this time ahead of him. He's got to swallow his pride. He's got to put everything else away and be willing to go through the process and the journey that was likely very painful, very difficult, and not something that was going to happen very quick. So he's got persecution. His new friends don't want anything to do with him. He's got this understanding that this is going to take some time, but then he has this promise that's given to Ananias in chapter 15 and, or chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. The first part of it is really good. I should have put it up maybe in, in part. But the Lord said to him, Go to Ananias, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. Verse 16, a little bit more difficult. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Your old friends don't like you. Your new friends want nothing to do with you. This is going to take a long time. It's going to be painful. And oh, God himself is saying that you're going to have to learn what it means to suffer. So was there a decision to be made? Yes, absolutely. He could have said, you know what? I'm done with this. 
I feel so guilty and ashamed for all the things that I've done. I'm going to be like the disciples after Jesus had died. I'm going back fishing. He could have said, I'm going to my tent business. I'm not going to do this. God, this is, this is not going to work for me. But here's the thing. When he was knocked off that horse, when that light was shining around him, there was something that God showed him. There was a decision that was placed in front of him. There was something that he saw with greater clarity. And the decision that was placed in front of him was one that he simply could not ignore. He could have said no, but he couldn't ignore it. That wherever he went from that point forward, he was going to be smacked upside the face with the yes that was standing in front of him. There was going to be a decision that was going to be hanging out in his mind, in his conscience, in his spirit. And no matter where he went, there was going to be something that he had to respond to. You know, my prayer for us here today is that there would be a decision that would be placed in front of us that would be so significant that no matter where we go, that no matter what we do, that no matter what we face, no matter what we experience, that there would be a yes that would be standing in front of us that we have to pay attention to. I can't make that decision for any of you. But there is a level of investment that it requires from us to come to the place of recognizing what God really and truly wants for us. It's not about playing church. It's not about this idea. Sometimes we come before God and and we feel like this walk of Christianity is much more about this. Church is so important. Coming together as brothers and sisters, the gathering of believers is so significant. But this isn't all that there is. Reading our Bible, uh, praying, communion, fasting, all of the things, discipleship, those things are so significant. They all come out of the ultimate yes that we say to Jesus. But can I tell you that's not all that there is. Sometimes in Christianity we have had the, the checklist of I've got to do this, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do this. This is what it means to walk with Jesus. Can I tell you today that if that's your expectation, that you have only barely scratched the surface of what is waiting for you as a son or a daughter of God. But sometimes for the church of America, and and I'm sure around the world, that feels like enough. Sometimes that feels like, okay, this is good. I I know my, my eternity in heaven is secured. That's great. But then the decision to actually walk out the faith and the obedience to the yes to Jesus, that doesn't feel so good always. That doesn't feel like something I always want to do because it requires much more of me. But Jesus didn't die to give us a life of simply coming to church on a weekly or a semi-weekly or once a month and calling that Christianity. He didn't say go to church on, on every day of the week, but don't go home and spend time with me. He didn't call us to call ourselves Christians, but then to not develop a relationship with him and the word that he's spoken. There is a yes that God is putting in front of us as his church that we simply have to stop looking anywhere else and to look at that decision and to realize that that is the very thing that we are called to, regardless of whether or not it costs us our life, our friends, our families, our our, our place of stability, our identity, that our yes to him needs to be bigger than anything else in our life. See, Saul, he saw the light. He said yes. My question to you here today is not, will you say yes to Jesus, though? 
My question is not, will you say yes to church, to membership? My question is, will you do the work required to find out what Jesus has called you to do? Will you go beyond the surface, beyond the comfort, beyond everything that you've known, to say, Jesus, what are you calling me to do? Is there something bigger? Is there something greater? Is there something more impactful than I've ever imagined before this point in time? Because there's something that he is calling us to, and we have to realize that before we make a decision to say yes, we have to understand what the decision is in the first place. What is the decision that God is calling you to? What is the thing that he's asking you to do? The gospel that we have subscribed to, the gospel that we have said yes to, is not a simple, easy, passive life. And on the other side of this yes, there is a life that is greater than you could ever imagine because you are walking in fulfillment of what God has called you to do. I don't want to paint this picture that it's the worst thing in the world because it's the best thing in the world. It's the best thing in the world. But in order to have access to the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to the degree that we are asking for it, in order to see the revival that we have prayed for and believed for and we will continue to do so, in order to see lives transformed and a harvest of souls before Jesus returns to this earth, if we're going to get to that place, we have to take responsibility for what God has called us to do. The example that we have in Scripture is not an easy one. But God didn't water it down simply because we live in 2023. He didn't call us to do any less simply because we have modern technology and live streams and lights. He's calling us to something that's going to require everything from us. And I'm naive enough to think that we have a church that's going to respond to it. I'm just hopeful enough that we're going to see churches around America that are going to respond to what God is calling them to do to throw away the checklist, to throw away the obligations, to throw away the things that have brought us our identity, to say yes to him above everything else in our lives. Once again, Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. This is after Paul has given all of his credentials. This is who I was. This is what I did. But he comes to the point in verse 7 where he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, as garbage, as human excrement in order that I might gain what really and truly matters, Christ. That I can make a decision here on earth in the midst of everything else going on that is going to speak for eternity. There is going to be a day where we're going to stand before Jesus and we are going to answer for every word that has come out of our mouth and every decision that we've made. I want to stand before Jesus and I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, not just in some things, but in the places that really required something of me, in the places that were really difficult. 